Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome. This is Matthew Grant, partner at Instec London. Well, life might be slowing down now for some, but we've been hard at it over the last few weeks, digging out the people, companies, and themes we think you'll find interesting in the world of data, analytics, technology, and insurance. And whilst there's no shortage of information available these days, it can be quite hard to get to solid facts. So we've been reading the Willis quarterly InsurTech briefing for quite some time, and it was great to have a chance to talk to Andrew Johnson, who is responsible for the Willis briefing and who draws on a team from across Willis and beyond. Since recording this, Willis has released its Q2 report, available to download from its website. And if you're wondering what else we're up to at Instec London, as well as these weekly podcast episodes, then do take a look at www.instec.london. Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Great to have you calling in from New York. It seems to be one of the benefits we all get being uh, locked down this now that we can, uh, seems to be even easier to track people down in different parts of the world. So uh, great talking to you. Now your background is another person that seems to have found their way into insurance from a slightly unusual background. So today you're head of InsurTech at Willis Re. I'm interested in talking to you shortly about how you see InsurTech as a concept evolving. But before that, you were working for the United Nations as an expert historical consultant. You spent some time in Cambodia as a researcher. So really interested in a minute to hear a little bit about what took you from that into insurance. But you know, first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Matthew. Uh, so yes, let's talk a bit about that. I mean, it's always intriguing how people have done really fascinating careers uh, and then not to suggest insurance isn't fascinating, but then end up. <laughs> so what was the journey from United Nations to, uh, to Willis? Well, I, um, I sort of was pursuing an academic career for, for quite a long time and uh, completed a doctorate in, in genocide a number of years ago. And doing that, I was, I was contacted by the UN who said, we, we've just come across your PhD, which actually has a lot of data housed within it that, that pertains to a case file that we're working on in, in Cambodia. And, uh, you know, would you like to come and be a sort of consultant to the, to the court proceedings? So I ended up working as a consultant to a, a few law firms as it related to a, a genocide tribunal. And the case file that I was working on was concluded uh, at the beginning of uh, 2016. I was introduced to the uh, then CEO of Willis Ree, John Kavanagh, who I believe you know. And John was sort of interested in my background and was looking to hire somebody that that knew the research uh, remit quite well, but wasn't necessarily yoked with a reinsurance or an insurance bias. And that was really how I sort of fell into, into that opportunity. Oh, it's tremendous. I mean, yeah, given the quality of what you write and the breadth of what you write in your report, we're going to talk a bit about in a minute. Uh, it's really impressive for someone that's come from outside of the industry. And maybe just a reminder that for those of us that think insurance is really complicated, that uh, just demonstrates how coming in like, with a keen pair of eyes you can pick up on it. And yet, yeah, we know John well. He was actually one of my guests uh, a few months back and uh, has the yep. ability to pop up all over, all over the place. So yeah. uh, great to see another connection there. So let's talk about the uh, the report. I mean, people will know of the Willis report. I think that you, you've got quite a high profile on that. I mean, it is generally one of the, the go-to pieces of information. Uh, you know, you've got good insights, but also you've got fantastic data in there. But what was sort of behind doing that for for the company itself and this focus around InsurTech? Well, I think um, it's important to note, Matthew, that the sort of nascency of, of it when it came through was really that there was nobody giving an objective or trying to be objective 
about distilling what was quite a complicated space. And Willis Ree and Willis Towers and Securities launched the briefing at the beginning of 2017 with the expressed view of trying to make some sense of what was going on in the insure tech world for a number of different clients, whether it was investors or, or insurers or reinsurers or MGAs, or just those who were sort of interested around the edges. We don't necessarily drill down into the specifics, but we are able to present a sort of global view of what's going on. And there was nobody really doing that at that, at that stage. I suppose that even the word itself, the InsureTech and your title, I mean, you, I think, commented on this in one of your recent reports. I mean, what, what do you see as the remit for what you're covering? I mean, the, the InsureTech has lost a little bit of the precision, if it ever had precision, but certainly the focus around early stage companies today. Are you still focusing on the sort of startup scene or are you now looking more broadly around some of the external companies coming into the insurance space? I think the InsureTech phenomena is a cultural adoption of technology from, in most cases, non-traditional actors for the benefit of the insurance and the reinsurance markets. And then you have the individual companies themselves. And I think our focus has been to establish a relationship with as many of those firms as we can for the benefit of our clients. But as the space has evolved, it's gone in sort of multiple different directions. But for us, I think the main focus when we say insure techs as businesses are firms that have managed to raise some money are able to provide a technological solution to the industry that is, is solving a, a sort of genuine problem. Uh, that's, that's the way I like to try and think about it. Okay, now that's helpful. I mean, at some point, you know, does it matter? Probably not, but it's helpful in terms of the context of what you cover because certainly you know, what we're seeing and I'm kind of interested how this reflects your own views is there are more companies coming in from outside of the industry with really credible solutions. And I think it, you know, it's a plus point for the industry, I guess, includes you coming from your background of outside of the industry of people seeing opportunities here with access to data and analytics. They, they don't fulfill the category of InsureTech because they're already established businesses and they, sure. they perform a role. I, and I, I mean, do you see, therefore, as you look forward, a sort of separation in what, I mean, you've used your report as a sort of a way of thinking about how the industry is going to evolve because you're, you're, as you said, you're tracking things that are useful to your clients. Do you see a sort of separation into those two different categories or is it just a sort of blurring and it's still one, one main area? I think within the term itself, as we currently understand it, there will be increasing diversification and I think there will be greater adoption of terms that we are sort of very familiar with as sort of incumbent vernacular, whether it's focusing on pricing and underwriting, quoting, binding and issuing, policy administration systems, claims, and, and it, won't, it will almost not be necessary to stipulate that there is a technological angle because if, you just can't come into the industry without a technological angle anymore. And then going back to your point earlier about your clients, I mean, they don't really care ultimately if they've, they've got something to get done and they want to know who's going to help them get there. But can you talk a little bit more about what that means when you say you're, you're doing the report or doing this work for your clients? I mean, how far does your reach extend as Willis in the way you help your clients sure. in this area? So, I mean, the, the briefing is obviously a sort of small manifestation of what, of what we do and what my team does. But, but the way that Willis Reinsurtech is set up, Matthew, is that we have a, a team of about 30 people across the globe who are constantly vetting best-in-class insurtechs, trying to understand who's doing what, where, and then where appropriate, making introductions to our traditional client base so that they can leverage any introductions to these firms, but also the sort of POCs that we might be running or, or 
sort of providing a level of, of analytics or actuarial supports around the edges. And so we are, we are, I think, betting at scale and making global introductions for our clients in a way that perhaps if they were to do it on their own could, could struggle with. And some of them just don't have the ability or the resource to do that. And so it's a very, I think, a very valuable service. And again, it's sort of akin to the, to the sort of broader broking offering. And, and the report is just one small iteration of the sorts of things that we're learning through that process of vetting at scale. Yeah, interesting. Sort of the tip of the iceberg of, of all the, the knowledge. And, and what about the brokers themselves, the, you know, the actual people on the ground? Are they getting increasingly involved in this work as well as they talk to their clients? Or do you sort of set, run that separately through your team or others from a more technical aspect in, in Willis? But I think as, as, as sort of larger brokers, certainly like ourselves, are, are sort of increasingly morphing into, into sort of risk consultants and advisors rather than just purely executionary transactors of transferring risk. And I should hope that most of our colleagues would know that they can come to our team with a client or a client proposition or issue that we can then look to try and solve by tapping into the network that we have from the InsureTech universe. It's always one of the challenges, isn't it, with the brokers? Some of them focus more on the transaction or the negotiation. And I think increasingly you're seeing people coming into the industry that are more technical, have got that consulting side. And actually, yeah. the, best, the best brokers always did this anyway from structuring reinsurance. It's a natural part of what they did. Um, it just, I think it just sort of it raises the bar a bit for people to understand technology. Um, just going back to the report a bit, one thing you touched on it earlier on, but is all interesting as I read this, is there's quite a strong focus here on fundraising and i know yourself you give quite a sort of you're quite open about your concerns in some cases where funds may be invested you know disproportionately to the real value but what do you think about either bootstrapped or you know, companies that don't necessarily have the visibility because they've been around for a while where you know investment is not such a good measure of of success uh you know we've seen some of the largest companies actually in recent years been successful where they haven't actually raised funds they've just bootstrap the business and then and then be sold on so is it this intentional focus around fundraising or is is that sort of evolving as well again a great great question i think it's it's a sort of combination of lots of things and and i'll take responsibility for this i mean using using investment it does leave us vulnerable to missing certain firms who who as you described could be fantastic but we like to think that we do see most of what's going on and we do work with a number of firms who I think would self-identify as being bootstrapped and they can be very, very early stage. I think the purpose of the briefing, amongst other things, is to create some PR around these firms. You know, let's say we have 50 clients who read the briefing all saying, okay, Andrew, based on what I've just read, I'd like to do some business with company X. If that company isn't then in a position to actually make the most of that opportunity, then that's obviously a difficult position for us. Similarly, with the more established incumbents, Willis Towers Watson obviously has a huge technological business where we have been developing technology for the industry for for decades. So there's a slightly uh, different angle on that side as well. But generally speaking, most of the indicators of activity we are deriving from, from investments. Yeah, no, no surprise. And are you seeing any trends or any you can share between the strategic industry investors and the choices they're making and then the external investors? I mean, I guess it's one of two categories. I mean, you've got the specialist insurance investment funds and then you've got the generalist ones that are seeing insurance as, as interesting but don't necessarily know it. 
as well. And then you've got the corporate investors. It sounds like you've got a way of splitting those out. I think that the larger incumbents are investing to make the most of um, what we refer to as strategic partnerships. So the opportunity to rely on that technology and, and, and sort of support the vendor. Whereas the VCs and the PEs are typically playing in the smaller rounds, but, but casting a wider net, um, still hoping to make the most of some speculative exits, which you know, from an investor's mandate makes complete sense. I think my main concern as the, as the digression continues is that there will actually be a dearth of investment between, say, Series A and Series B and C, which is really damaging to, a, to an insure tech that is, is burgeoning because that's arguably the most important time to receive an injection of capital. And then we may, we may see a growth of, of specialty investors, as you note, playing in that space. But I would say that the traditional venture arms of insurers and reinsurers are less interested in, in the speculative exit and more in, in sort of securing that strategic partnership with vendors of technology. I'm just interested about the point you made about the dearth of investment capital at the sort of Series A, Series B level is interesting. I, I wasn't aware that that was potentially a problem. Can you just talk a little bit more about either what's driving that or, or what you're seeing in that particular space? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's natural, Matthew, with any industry that is um, sort of still going up the, the sort of slope of the Gartner hype cycle where you've arguably got overvalued businesses relative to what they're generating in terms of re- uh, revenue and, and added value. But um, I think insurers and reinsurers are obviously very fortunate in that they can, they can wait and participate in later, but obviously more expensive rounds where you have a proven business uh, with a great track record that is likely to be a, a, a winner. And as the industry sort of selects its winners, those coming in through the, the funnel at an earlier stage are by default less likely to be successful. And so investors in the earlier rounds are probably likely to want to cast as wide a net as they possibly can and that will mean that their, their budgets will have to be stretched and therefore will probably have to play in much earlier rounds. And therefore, you create this, this, this sort of no man's land in between. You also talk in your report, you said you're, you're tracking uh, about 184 insurtechs that, that might have closed their doors. That that's, uh, seems very precise. Also, it's quite, quite challenging sometimes to actually figure out who has gone because people tend not to issue press releases when they, exactly. they, they yep. close their doors. But of course, that's just a natural, natural stage of any kind of growth area. But are you seeing any trends around different types of you know, businesses or parts of the value chain that are struggling or others that are being more successful recently? I think any firm that is able to deliver a, a very strong business proposition as it relates to the sort of traditional functional chain with inexpensive technology is likely to do very, very well. I think where we've seen failure, and that has in some cases led to sort of cessation of businesses, but as you correctly note, it's quite hard to track that unless they self-identify as, as sort of shutting their doors, has been where the technology has been expensive and perhaps inappropriate for the the issue that they're sort of trying to solve so i'm sure you remember a couple of years ago um, the focus was very much on things like dlt uh, and blockchain in particular it's a very expensive technology and it's quite it's quite clunky um, and so unless you were sort of putting dlt to work on, on on areas where it really was a functioning technology so things like ledgers sort of creating immutable truths 
it's very hard to support those types of businesses in, in sort of obscurity. So I think, I think any business where they put the technology first has struggled and will continue to struggle. The technology is really not the interesting bit. It's the facilitation, which is key around a very sound business model. No surprise there. And I guess for anybody that doesn't know what DLT is, it's distributed ledger technology, which is a sort of another version of blockchain, which may or may not be blockchain. I mean, I think it's interesting if you go into Google Analytics and you look at the word blockchain, you can see how it sort of peaked in about 2018 and then starts to fall off again. But just sort of on that broad topic, and one of the things I found really interesting in your report, you you do a, a graphic in there about the split between the four different categories of uh, insurtech focus. So you've got pricing, underwriting, quote bind issue, policy administration systems, and then claims and settlement. And mm-hmm. I think most people, particularly those not close to what's happening, tend to think of what's been happening in the insurtech spaces as at the kind of sharp end of that, the sort of pricing, underwriting, distribution. But actually, mm-hmm. your data suggests that close to 75% is actually in that middleware, the sort of or, or yeah. the middle flow. Which is, which is really interesting because that's sort of actually where the challenges are. And I think we all recognize once you get close to the industry, how, how hard distribution is and how regulated it is. Um, yep. Does that also signal that, you know, there's, there's, it's just much, much harder to be able to be successful at, at that front end? I mean, the front end has never really been where most of the activity has been. I think even in 2017, about 85% of the insure techs that we were tracking were, were focused on, on sort of back office support. But, you know, it will come as no surprise to you to, to, to hear that those companies wanting to build a brand are typically those at the front end. And so they're the ones that we're, we, we hear about. But a lot of firms have, have realized that, you know, especially if they're originating risk themselves, that procuring new customers is extremely expensive. Navigating global uh, regulatory environments is extremely difficult. And actually the greatest application of technology can be as a support function of what already exists. And so it's perhaps no surprise um, that that most of those firms are are in the background. And they're well known to insurers and reinsurers, but perhaps in in the sort of PR space, they're less well known because they're not looking to to raise quick speculative capital. We can't move on the subject then with talking about the news that came out, uh, as we're talking about a week ago with the proposed... IPO for Lemonade. So what have you learned from the S1 or anything else you've, you've sort of seen as they've gone to market with their, with their plans? I think it was inevitable that Lemonade would look to, to IPO. And for many, they're the poster child of that, that cultural revolution that I referred to earlier. So it'll be very interesting to see um, how that progresses. And um, it'll be interesting to see what's next. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have had a look into the S1, but there's some very interesting data in there about your costs. For example, their marketing costs are about $96 million, and their premium income is not much higher than that. Now, they yeah, probably reasonably define their cost of acquisition at sort of 50% of the premium because of the lifetime value of the customer. But if nothing else, yeah. I think for anybody that is that is out there looking at coming into this space, it's a very stark reminder of the you know, really significant cost, as you say, that you need to deploy to get visibility into a marketplace that, you know, frankly, doesn't really buy on brand, buys on price, and uh, it's quite hard to get their, their attention. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you think about our industry, it, it sort of orbits around matching risk with, with capital in an environment where at any level you're looking to, to pull shared risk um, against the backdrop of a pricing paradox. And I don't really see how you could do that without a very, very vibrant broken community 
who are looking to find different costs of capital, different types of capital structuring, as I say, sort of bringing, bringing new products into the mix, sort of making introductions to different, different types of distribution channels and clients. And so I think the brokers do have a very important role in, in this space, but they're not immune. And I would say that they, they have the same challenges as anybody in, in the current value chain, which is if you genuinely aren't adding any value, then, then you should sort of question your, your, your role in all of this. But I think certainly the bigger brokers who are able to invest heavily in, in analytical tools and you know, hire lots of actuaries and things like that still have a really, really important role in all of this. And in t- to that point, the issue of data is something that I, I'd be interested in your view on this, but I think there's an oversimplification over about data. You know, it's almost like the more data, the better. And one of the challenges that brokers have got, certainly in the UK, and I think it's probably true to some extent in the US, but there's a whole regulatory requirement that you know, the more you know about the client, the more you're expected to give them advice that reflects your knowledge. And so I, I suspect one of the challenges for the brokers is that once you've learned something, you can't unlearn it. And therefore, there's always a risk. And it's not a criticism of the brokers. It's, it's just, you know, where regulation is taking it. If you know more about your client, then you have to do something with that data. I mean, that's one challenge. I think the other challenge is just thinking back to you know, my own background in the catastrophe modeling world, where there was a real arms race about who could provide the best tools for catastrophe modeling. And what happened is the brokers all got forced to do more and more without getting paid for it. And so I think, yes, understandably... Yes. Yeah, the cha- yeah, exactly. The challenges you've got as a broker is how do you continue, rightly, how do you continue to get paid and not, not yeah. get or get chased down, you know, downhill in terms of the cost. So not always as simple as, you know, the ideal world isn't always as simple as people, um, people think. Certainly not. But, you know, I mean, lots of people come into the industry and, and they look at it and its current setup and we're, a, we're an easy target to question. But, you know, you know better than anybody, especially in the modeling world, once you start to um, sort of pick away at things and, and get a better understanding of the mechanics at work, you realize that actually we are adding a huge amount of value and, and even just things like catastrophe models. You know, we, we, we obviously have um, very strong uh, relationships with a number of those vendors and then offer that to our clients as part of our sort of broader service offering. So that's a huge uh, value add to, to, to clients um, and then we obviously bake around that actuarial support and analytics and and we provide one or two views of risk and and to your point around data in and of itself it it doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of value it's the way that you you understand it it's the way that you weight it relative to what it is that you're looking to achieve so just a slight separate question Andrew, but just again reflecting on some of the news i assume you've been following what happened with brit and key and google cloud uh and and all these the algorithmic underwriter you know the, the the lead follow syndicate for those that haven't been following this. I did actually did an interview with Brit on it a couple of weeks ago for anybody that is interested. So one of my questions on that is, and this is directly to Brit, but with all the choices they've got out there of the thousands of people offering technology to insurers, they went with Google Cloud and University College London. And so do you, what do you make of that? Is that a signal that, yeah, that the insure tech world needs to watch out because however good they are, they're really big guys. And, and yeah, that's not to say Google's coming in and trying to be an insurer, but they've got really deep analytics and technology out there. Is that really where the threat lies as opposed to going into the insurance space? So great question. I mean, I think the likes of Google uh, and Amazon in particular are always going to be in the background as potential threats if they're not sort of fully functioning in our industry. But it's as much an opportunity for everybody as it is a threat, I think. It's just the way in which we choose to work together as an industry 
And I think it's possibly too early to comment on how this particular initiative is going to pan out. But again, it's a very exciting uh, iteration of where things might be going. And it's fascinating to watch. And I'm, I'm sort of really keen to see how, how this develops and then, and then what that might turn into. My observation is there's less around Google wanting to be an insurer. It's more that they're actually competing you know, with some pretty heavyweight competition against the, the new insurtech, the analytical, the people with the AI. That's, that's where they can play. I think I mean, the answer is sort of along the lines of what you said. And, and we know Google particularly quite well, Google Cloud. I mean, they are potentially the platforms of the future. And so they pair up with the, the specialist analytical firms or insurance yeah. firms. And, and but, 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 but maybe Google might fill that void that we were describing earlier in the investment space and, and Google will be looking to acquire some of these insure techs that are highly specialized, that are really excellent in what they do and, and, and would sort of bolster Google's offering, um, in which case they're, there, they're, they're a very welcome part of the, uh, the furniture. Yeah, they're already an investor in Uncork, for example, yeah. through the yeah. Google Capital and uh, yeah, we're doing a bit with them as well. So we've, we've got a bit of insight. Just so on the so topic of the insurtechs or however else we'd like to describe them, have you got any, I don't want to call, say favorites because it's like <laughs> ask, ask a parent what's their favorite child, but anybody that, you'd, anybody that you would recommend people look at or look out for? In the specialty markets, certainly in sort of areas like marine and cargo, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Consirus and I have been for a long time. And then in North America, there's lots of very exciting things happening here. I think one of the firms that I'm sort of keeping a very close eye on is, is Buckle. And I think they've got a, a great future ahead of them. But uh, no, I wouldn't say I've got sort of favorites per se. I'm just interested to speak to anybody that, that can, you know, bring something truly innovative um, to the industry that can help support uh, either Willis or Willis's clients or perhaps become a client of Willis. And so uh, I, try and, I try and not have too many favorites. Good. Well, if uh, anyone doesn't know Consirus and Andy Yeoman, the CEO, uh, one of his techniques is his, uh, his cake strategy. Yeah, you've been the receiving end of his cake strategy, Andrew. But if anybody wants to know more about it, I'm afraid you have to listen to another podcast of mine with Andy. <laughs> Multiple members of the, uh, the Johnston family have been recipients. <laughs> so Andrew, that's been um, really helpful. You've, you've been following what we've been doing at Instate London. Any sort of observations of what you see, what we're up to? I love what you're doing. And, uh, you know, London is, is arguably the, the, the beating heart of, of InsureTech. And um, it was sort of crying out for a, a community uh, like the one that you've created. And um, so, you know, hats off to you and, and Robin in particular for, for doing that. And I think it's so great that you know, even things like these podcasts is a lot of information sharing. And, and I, think it's, I think it's a great initiative. So thank you for, for your contribution to that. Good. Well, you know, thank you for your help. I, I, I get credit by um, association by using some of your data and slides. And, You're very uh, welcome sound, to it. Sounding, sounding intelligent, but it's actually all your research. So, <laughs> Andrew, that was tremendous. Thank you for carving out some time. I know you've got a lot going on. And, thank uh, you for having me. Great to catch up. Thank you. Thank you for joining Andrew and I. If you enjoyed this and haven't discovered our other interviews with over 100 people from the last couple of years, then do scroll down or have a look at www.instec.london for a wide range of interviews from the people shaking and making it in insurance today. Finally, if you made it this far, well, I guess we must be doing something right. So if you can leave us a rating on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be great. Thanks.